Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening. <clears throat> Helps to turn the studio on, uh, I've been advised, so hopefully uh, from here on out, uh, we'll be broadcasting right across this great city of ours and beyond, uh, which of course is on the Orange land of the Kulin Nations and I think uh, Elders past and present for their, well, tutelage throughout all these years and I welcome any mob that are listening to us at the moment. Thank you to Vaughny for an excellent episode of Double Bounce, always great to be in the house when he's in the house. He'll be back next Tuesday from 4 to 7 to broadcast more eclectic, groovy, funky tunes. I'd like to thank um, Maddie Miller and uh, Rachel O'Connell for filling in for the uh, mission while I've been away working on uh, a bloody book, let's just call it. Um, it's great to be back. Um, I've forgotten how to press some of the buttons, but hopefully from here on in we'll be relatively, well, I won't say damage-free, but we will try and do our best. So what's been happening in my little absence while um, others have been doing a great job filling in? Well, we've just had, you may have noticed, we've just had a state election which has voted in a largely progressive parliament, both in the lower and upper house. So we'll see how that unfolds. It was an election basically centred around improving the health system, particularly the tertiary health system, hospitals in particular. There was a great deal of infrastructure announced, uh, road and rail, potholes because of the wet conditions we've had down here. All of that's been going on and there's billions and billions and billions of dollars going into those projects, both big and small, over the next four years. Now, what we didn't see and it's something that we talk about a fair bit on this show, is we didn't see any movement on announcements around addressing the justice system, and particularly the prison system. There was no real talk of incarceration rates. There was no real talk of raising the age. There was no talk about improving the scrutiny around funding to and the accountability from Victoria Police. There was none of that. So over the next four years, it's going to be up to, again, organisations like the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and other advocates across the community to continue to advocate on those particular issues because they weren't addressed at this particular election. Will they be addressed over the next four years? Let's see. We know that we are on a path to treaty here in Victoria, which is a good thing, but it also, worst case scenario, provides... A bit of a curtain for the government to hide behind and say, listen, uh, we know those things are important, but look at us, we're doing a treaty. We're working with Aboriginal Victorians to get a treaty in Victoria. And so those other things are important, but once we get a treaty, all those things will be addressed by you know, the various treaties around the place. Well, that's fine and good, but there will be dozens and dozens and dozens of Aboriginal people in this state that will fall through the cracks until that treaty process is... I won't say finalised because it will never be finalised because it will be an ongoing dialogue between the state, local governments and Aboriginal communities. But the formal process of establishing those treaties will be 
um, finished probably before the end of uh, this particular term of government. So uh, as part of the job, we'll continue speaking to advocates, both um, prominent and non-prominent, people on the front line, people not so on the front line about some of these issues to make sure that they stay on the agenda uh, as much as they can because we don't want to continue to lock up children in this state. Um, well, what else has happened? Oh, we had, uh, we had the, uh, the Nationals come out yesterday. Now, I want to preface my statements here by saying, look, I'm not a rusted-on supporter of The Voice. I do support The Voice because I'm a pragmatist and I see it as the most pragmatic way to have a mechanism at the very least towards developing or negotiating a treaty with the federal parliament and the crown. So let me just preface that. Um, I'm not someone who's a, a massive advocate. There are plenty of massive advocates for The Voice around the country, and um, I pay my respects to them. They do great work, and I'll have them on the show occasionally, but I want to make sure that we have a broad dialogue around the ins and outs of The Voice and the change to the Constitution when it comes probably around about this time uh, next year. But what we saw yesterday... <laughs> did get on my gander a little bit. Uh, it, it did fire me up a little bit uh, because we had the Nationals come out and basically say that they're opposing the voice and constitutional change even before a question has been developed and even before a question has been put to the Australian public. And they're the first, quote-unquote, major party to come out and actually show their opposition uh, to The Voice. What do, they base, what do they base their opposition on? Oh, they've spoken to blackfellas in their constituencies and they reckon it's a no-go following a, uh, a party room meeting. It just reeks from my perspective, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people around the place who recognise it as just rank opportunism designed to divide and exploit what is an agenda that can only really add value to the Australian Parliament when you look at it from a long-term perspective. Um, it, it, like I said, it means that we'll be able to use that voice potentially to negotiate things like treaties. But um, when the Nationals, in all their gormlessness, came out yesterday to oppose the voice because they reckon it won't close the gap, well, then how small is their thinking if they think that we can't close the gap and have a voice and develop treaties at the same time? We can do that. We can walk and chew gum. We have been for centuries. We have been for millennia. Not so much the gum part, but um, you know what I mean. And when you look at their track record, their track record uh, suggests that, well, we, they're, they're keen on closing the gap. They had nine years to do it. They had nine years in government. And what does their record show? It shows that they basically achieved sweet FA in that particular department. And another disturbing thing with their announcements was they were already trying to pit urban Aboriginal communities against remote communities, quoting Redfern, for instance, and Wilcannia, as, as though issues in the metropolitan, Melbourne metropolitan area, in the Sydney metropolitan area, Mel, um, um, metropolitan area, and the Brisbane metropolitan area, there aren't any issues for Aboriginal people in those communities. We recognise that there are massive issues for remote communities, but again, it's a nuanced problem and it requires a nuanced conversation and it would seem to me that the Nationals are not up to the task on that. And history may well be the judge because we know that the biggest voting cohort these days 
are not actually baby boomers, but they are millennials. And they will go a long way to basically deciding whether the voice and constitutional reform gets up. So watch this space, but um, you've got to call out that sort of BS when, when you see it. But on a much brighter note, on tonight's show, it's a bit special for me because I'll be joined in the studio by writer and director and my cousin, Andrea Jane. She's, like I said, a writer and director, and she's the writer-director of the Sunshine Supergirl, which is showing through MTC at the moment and playing at the South Bank Theatre. So we'll talk about that and uh, lots more. In the second half of the show, we'll be yarning with uh, Troy Benjamin. He's put together another Deadly Comedy Night, Deadly Comedy 4, at the Brunswick Ballroom, which is uh, 6.30 tomorrow night. So you want to get on it quick, smart. And we'll talk about that. If you want to text during the program, the text line is 0466981027. So stick around. It should be a good show. I came across this particular song um, a couple of weeks ago uh, because I couldn't go past the cover. I'll tweet it out on Mr. D.T. James so you know what I mean. Hope you enjoy. Little Richard there with uh, Southern California, which is the name of the uh, the album. You won't be able to find it too readily because it was, it's a lost album and it's only just been uh, re-released. But, um, gee, the uh, the man knew how to uh, to rock and uh, we, we're glad to have him. So that was played to you um, on vinyl, believe it or not. It is uh, 13 past 7 here this Tuesday evening. Listen to The Mission on 102.7 RFM. My name is Daniel. Now, um, you may have heard of the, the play through Melbourne Theatre Company, Sunshine Supergirl, which is now playing at the South Bank Theatre. It was shortlisted for the 2021 Victoria Premier's Literary Award for Drama and is a landmark Australian work written and directed by Andrea James. It tells the inspirational and heartwarming story of Wiradjuri Australian tennis legend Yvonne Goolagong Corley. Andrea is a Yorta Yorta Gunai Kurnay woman. She's the great-great-granddaughter of Thomas Shadrach James and the great-granddaughter of Shadrach Livingston James and has produced plays for Carriage Works, Blacktown Arts, uh, Urban Theatre Projects, La Mama Theatre and Obidri, amongst others. Her works have been staged throughout Australia as well in the United Kingdom, Paris and New York. She is the daughter of my uncle Linny and she is the niece of my dad, Billy both who are gone but are still here with us. And I'm very, very delighted to say that she's sitting right here in front of me. Andrea, how are you? I'm very good, Cuz. How are you? <laughs> good. It's a <laughs> small Disclaimer straight up, eh? It's a small... Yeah, we've got, to, we've got to get it out the way because people will <laughs> think something sus is going on here, like, you know, some sort of nepotism. And, you know, perish the thought, nepotism in Aboriginal affairs. Oh who would have thought? Uh, let's, let's talk about um, the play, which was originally supposed to come here just as COVID was kicking off. And so we've had a delay of, what, nearly three years? Two years, I Two think. years. Oh, yeah, just before, yeah, we, just before it hit. Yeah, two-year two year wait. The space-time continuum has been ripped for all time, uh, <laughs> so we lose ourselves. Um, it's been receiving, you know, um, rapturous critical acclaim across the country. Uh, it's commercially being successful as well. Um, it's a unique setup. You'll be courtside if you go along to the theatre to see it at the uh, South Bank Theatre. How did the project come about? What, what was the what was the driving factor that made you write and then direct this piece of work? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, look, I'll say straight up. I'll admit, I'm a bit of a tennis tragic. <laughs> really love uh, to watch tennis, 
I go every year, a couple of girlfriends, and um, yeah. So one year, my my boyfriend at the time um, want, was trying to impress me, so he bought me Yvonne's autobiography home that she wrote with Phil Jarrett as a birthday present, and um, yeah, I started reading it, and I just couldn't put the book down. It was a real page turner, and also there was just so much about that story that was so fascinating that I don't think many people knew about. And, and also it just got me thinking, This what an amazing woman. She was our first ever Aboriginal world women's champion and why hadn't her story been told before, either through film or stage? So, you know, it just felt right for the telling and I just had a hunch that I thought that theatre would be a really great way and dance, in a contemporary choreography would be a great way to tell this amazing story. I think it's really important too that she's such a likeable, um, lovable person because if you got to dedicate several years, and that's what it is, several years of your life to a project like this, it helps if they espouse some of the things that we want to see in ourselves. What are, what are some of her qualities that you tried, tried to capture in this? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, she's a national icon, so, you know, I really put a lot of pressure on myself to tell the story right. And still alive, you know. Absolutely, and she's got a great legacy. You know, she runs the Goolagong Foundation with her husband, Roger, as well. So, you know, um, it was something that we really had to get right. And, you know, she's an elder. Um, She's got bloodline links, actually, through the Coopers to Cumrigunja Aboriginal Mission as well. So... So, yeah, it was really important that, um, yeah, we, we get it all really correct and that it, it had integrity. Um, so, yeah, I, look, I think the thing about her is she was just, you know, she was just so brilliantly good at what she did and she did it sort of effortlessly, you know. There was a sort of real sense of Aboriginal sensibility that she brought to the game that no one had ever seen before, mm. you know. And, and I think people were really amazed, you know, um, by that as well. But, you know, she wasn't competitive. You know, she always said, I, you know, my mum always said, look, at, you know, make, just make sure you have a lovely day. If you're not having fun, well, then stop, you know. Yeah. So she, she wasn't out there to sort of smash her opponents, you know. She just went out and she wanted to have as much fun and, and genuinely entertain people, you know, with, with her talent as well. And um, and so yeah, I think there's just something really so beautiful and valuable about that that approach. I think one of the beautiful things too is being, seeing the rise of Ash Barty um, mm. in recent years too, and it seems to me that um, together they've both sort of, I guess, not only complemented but added value to each other's uh, legacy because they have such a, um, a similar approach. I sense that Ash has a bit more of a killer instinct. Um, about her, uh, that um, she has this sort of drive that um, uh, there are certain opponents of hers won't um, get off too lightly in um, the psychological or uh, physical game stakes. But um, how much involvement did Yvonne actually have in, in, in the project? Was she on board at all during the process? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, first port of call, you know, I had to, um, you know, make contact and, and let her know about the project because I wouldn't have gone ahead, you know, without without her knowing about the project and sort of getting permission to explore it in this way. Um, You know, look, she didn't know me from a bar of soap, so I was just so grateful that she was open to the conversation and 
and we had yarns about it and, you know, um, she offered for, for me to come up and meet her there up up on the Sunshine Coast where she lives with her family and, you know, had a really had a really big yarn. Um, you know, but that being said, you know, her and her husband, Roger, they read the drafts, you know. And Gee, they, how, how daunting was that? It was the most nerve-wracking <laughs> thing I have ever had to do. Like, honestly, I had to sort of build myself up for a couple of days yeah. before getting on the phone. And they were they were they were critical, you know. Like they weren't backward in coming forward, um, but also you know they're tennis experts and I'm theatre experts. Yeah. So we kind of had to understand each other's language a little bit, you know. And but also to kind of gently go, look, not not all the minutiae of that this story is going to translate to the theatre either. Yeah, exactly. You know, so well that's what I wanted to ask you about. I mean, yeah. it's a it's an epic story in terms of the scale of where she came from to the heights that she climbed and the national treasure that she now is. How do you go about distilling that for a theatre production? Because that's where the magic of it comes in. I mean, it's a lot of craft as well, of course. Hmm. But where do you even start trying to distill that into a 97-minute play? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the trajectory of the story itself sort of lends itself to a, a real dramatic arc anyway, you know, mm. like it's a, it's a kind of classic rags to riches tale, you know. Yeah. She's grown up on a dirt floor shack and finds a tennis ball at the back of her dad's car and, you it, know. It's and almost like you couldn't write it. But, no, but right, every time. But it's already written. Exactly, you know, and then her dad fashions her, her first tennis racket out of the side of a wooden fruit <laughs> box and, you know, on and on it goes. So there's a sort of a really beautiful trajectory to the story as well but you know yeah it was just about you know cherry picking the most exciting parts and going look I think oh look there's real drama here and I think you know as dramatists we heat seek out you know the politics the love story you know the the wins and the terrible losses you know and the tragedy is all in there you know so it's just like okay I'm going to seek that out and then hopefully order it in a way you know, that's that's balanced and gives the audience a really great experience. Um, how, yeah. How much was left on the cutting room floor? Was there stuff in there that you just desperately wanted to put in that just didn't make it? Yeah, yep, that too. And, you know, stuff that, that Yvonne wasn't comfortable with being on the floor as well. And, and, and then on the other token, other things that I thought, oh, God, she's not going to want to go for this. But went, no, nope, I really want that part of my story to be right. told. So it was a real... It was a real negotiation, you know, and and then also, you know, like working really closely with Vicky Van Hoot, this amazing Wiradjuri um, choreographer who's based in Sydney, you know, to just sort of work out how to tell this story in the most physical way possible because, you know, she's an elite sports person and we can't botch that. We can't mimic it, you know, so... And nor can we mime <laughs> what she does because she just moved so amazingly, you know, and she trained since she was seven. So, But what we could do as dancers and choreographers and theatre makers is, you know, bring our particular te- technique and expertise and work out this really stunning movement sequences mm. that, that show the immense physicality and the effort, the physical effort that's required to, you know, play Grand Slam tournaments and win them. I guess one of the greatest challenges all to, um, also with a production like this, especially when you're dealing with someone so iconic and uh, still uh, very much with us and present, is casting. Mm. You know, how arduous was that process? Yeah, really nerve-wracking to say the <laughs> least. I mean, you know, um, I guess there's probably a handful of, you know, young 
Aboriginal actresses who could play this part, you know, and they, they not only do they need to be a really fantastic actor, but they have to be able to move yeah. and dance and, um, you know, so we were really, really fortunate to track down the wonderful Ella Ferris, who's just fresh out of VCA, who's a trained ballet dancer, um, um, you know, and and she was just primed and ready to go. She'd done, you know, her last year of VCA mostly via Zoom because of COVID, which is champing at the bit. So we were just so lucky to have Ella who kind of walked into this role and was just right. You know, when we auditioned her, I just knew straight away, here she is. She must be a relief. (laughs) It was an absolute (laughs) relief because everything hinges on this one person, you know, who kind of really carries the show. But that being said, she's surrounded by this amazing cast, this ensemble of actor-dancers who support her and her story and jump in and out of character um, to tell this story as well. It's 24 past seven. You're listening to The Mission on uh, Triple R 102.7 FM or maybe you're listening on the National Indigenous Radio Service right across the country. Um, either way, thank you very much. I'm speaking with writer and director, playwright, uh, all-round groovy person, uh, oldest of my uh, direct cousins, uh, which makes her um, wise and, uh, well, let's just say wise, um, Andrea James, and we're talking about uh, her latest production, Sunshine Supergirl, which is playing at the Melbourne Theatre Company uh, at the Southbank Theatre at the moment. I'll give details around that at the end of the, uh, our discussion. Um, you've been in the theatre now for, um, well, quite a, quite a while, um, and you've been across numerous theatre companies, and there's been a rich history of um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander storytelling through the medium of theatre. What do you think uh, attracts this form of storytelling to, to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander creatives? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I love it and I think about this a lot. You, you know, I mean, there's something about, you know, the live performance element of it where we yeah. really bring people together. I love how we're able to animate our language, which is really, really important. And a lot of the work that I write, I try to have traditional language in there, remnant language, you know, and when it's active on in performance, you begin to understand it a lot more than what you would just reading, reading it, it yeah. you know. And so there's something really beautiful. Like there's something that's, I think, with theatre and live performance, it's akin to ceremony. You know, I think it's the closest thing that we kind of have these days, apart from, you know, going mm. out bush. But, you know, there is something just so uh, unifying about it. It's like you're sitting around a fire telling a yarn, and I love the live part of that. You know, I like the exchange between the community of the audience and the performers, you know, and there's just something really vital and and energetic about that in a different way that when you receive information through either reading it or even the screen, you know, because the screen is a little detached as well. But, you know, there's just something about being able to smell the sweat and hear (laughs) the heartbeat beat and look at the tears on the cheeks, you know. There's always that high wire element too, isn't it? Yeah. Things got to go to plan here. Absolutely. You never know. (laughs) As a director, you know, the the lights go up and you go, okay, anything could happen here, you know. And that's what makes it really exciting and dynamic. Well, Josie has uh, texted in and has said, I love Sunshine Supergirl and thought everyone involved was fabulous. Congratulations to Andrea. 
more shows like this, please. Oh, beautiful. Nice. Thank you. So what's on the horizon for you in terms of what you're working on? Yeah, you're well, always working on something. Yeah, you know, there's always something sort of ticking away. I think I'm a glutton for punishment. But, yeah, I'm writing something from our grandmother's country, actually, Gunai Kurnai country, oh, um, from the Pepper and Thorpe mob. And I'm writing a play called The Black Woman of Gippsland. Um, oh, through right. an M- it's an MTC commission, but it's looking at this um, amazing live um, occurrence, that events that happen on country about a so-called missing white woman who was said to have been kidnapped. Now, I've heard about that story. Yeah, right. And it's one of the great sort of folkloric stories from that particular region. So I'm going to be very interested to see how you tie it all together. That's it. Well, you know, watch this space. So hopefully, you know, in a couple of years it might uh, it might arise. But, um, yeah, really exciting material. And wow. And getting right, stuck right into it as we speak. Well, that's a bit exciting. Um, now, I finish the show every week uh, around about 8 o'clock with um, a Charlie Pride track. Right? <sighs> What I want to try and do with what we're going to try and do from here on in with a lot of my guests is try and convey to the the audience at home what Charlie Pride sort of meant to the likes of you and I growing up and to our parents and to their parents. Um, Charlie was a big thing in our childhood, wasn't he? Oh, you're not wrong. Charlie Pride was on high rotation <laughs> in our family home. Big sing-alongs. You know, I think for a little while there I actually thought that Uncle Gavin was Charlie Pride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I do, yeah, look, you know, he um, he's just incredible. And, you know, our family listened and listened and listened to Charlie Pride. And, uh, you know, we sing along full throttle. And I used to think yeah. it was just a just a just a James sort of Shepherd and Barmer, um, you know, Gunai Kurnai type thing. But the more research I've done, Australia wide, mobs everywhere, just addicted to the man. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, there's a there's a storytelling style to it. There was just something I think that really connected to mob everywhere that that you know that we related to and and there wasn't a lot being played, you know, on on mainstream radio. So you know, people just sort of heat seeked it out always thought um we would you know kind of kind of claimed him because he was black he was beautiful and he was ours yeah absolutely yeah we only really had uncle jimmy little you know we didn't have many people who'd been had the privilege of being recorded and playing on the radio so you know people just just people just sort him out do you do you have a favorite song of his oh gosh you don't have to i don't know know. name me a couple and i'll okay um Kiss an Angel, Good Morning. Oh, yes, that's the one. That's my dad's favourite song, actually. All right. Well, we're going to play in this interview by playing that track. But um, Sunshine Supergirl is playing at the South Bank Theatre through the Melbourne Theatre Company through to the 14th of December. If you want tickets, we're going to try and give away some tickets um, later on. But if you want to head to mtc.com.au for tickets, like I said, it's playing through to the 14th. I've been speaking with the writer and director of said play, Andrea James, my cousin. Thank you so much for coming on board and talking to us about it. My pleasure. Garen Gali there with uh, one voice. It is 18 to 8. I listen to the mission now on to our um, second guest of this evening. Uh, now, look, it's been um, a tough year, hasn't it? So I reckon we're all in need of a laugh. And so we're very fortunate to have We're Black Again, <laughs> number four back. Um, I don't know whether you've ever been to sort of like a, 
a black fella comedy night, but um, we do have a unique sense of humour, one that just sometimes comes out of left, right, up and down, and sometimes straight at you. So we're black, we'll be hitting the Brunswick Ballroom uh, tomorrow evening at 6.30pm um, at the Brunswick Ballroom. Um, you can get tickets via mosticks.com.au and it'll be hosted by the mighty Shirley Hood and it will feature uh, an extravaganza of hilarious black comedy artists from people like uh, Aidan Hitchens, Ben Moody, Bingalow McIntosh, Darren Clinch, who I didn't know was a comedian, but I do now, uh, Denise McGuinness, Gavin Simple, Kimberly Lovegrove, and Michael Nawi. The person that has brought all of this together for us, thankfully, is a fellow called Troy Benjamin, who is a taddy-taddy, waddy-waddy, muddy-muddy, wimba-wimba, and latchy-latchy man who was raised in Geelong, and he is here to tell us all about tomorrow night. Troy, welcome to the mission, and thank you for putting this show together. Mate, Daniel James, it's so good, so good. Yeah, you're spot on, spot on. We need, we need laughs. And oh, tell us about unique, it. Unique humour. <laughs> it's a great way <laughs> of uh, of saying who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, it, it, one thing I like about uh, stand-up comedy from from Black Folk mm. is it's it's like sitting around and. Um, uh, listening to your uncles and aunties talk about the old times <laughs> yeah, and just laughing up. And you just wonder where half 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 the crap that they speak about, where it actually comes from. But it, but it's it's such a unique thing. And this is what something like tomorrow night will, will bring us. It's a good one. It's, I also think it's a great opportunity and a rare opportunity for those people, which is most non-Indigenous people that have um, ever heard... Uh, something that's comical, but maybe in real life, about a First Nations person, they know they can't laugh. Yes, or they feel yes. very bad. That they feel very, very, very bad. Like, Ooh, and it's and it's kind of we've turned into a society. We've got to be very careful what we laugh at. We're not too sure what's going on in the background of the backstory. Um, so we're careful, and it's good. We're considered. We're thoughtful. We're we're woke. We're all you know. It's great, and uh, and we don't know what to laugh at anymore. Um, but tomorrow, and these First Nations comedy nights is an open free-for-all, you can laugh your head off at some very, very non-PC stuff, which is really a great a great thing to be able to um, sometimes just not have to hesitate and have a laugh. And um, and that's what comedy is really about, is, is kind of getting as much laughter about kind of common life or societies that maybe you don't understand. And um, it's certainly a, a good a good way of finding out about people's lives because, uh, as you said, comedians usually use real-life situations and, and bring them to the front for everyone to laugh at. So it's, um, I think it's a good, it's a good cultural uh, in, insight, a bit of a David Attenborough comical-wise <laughs> into, into some of these Aboriginal people's lives, which, um, I mean, they're, not, they're, they're people that most, most people wouldn't know what they get up to during the day. And, I mean, people, someone like Aidan talks about his, about his mum... <laughs> He's got this joke about his mum. Um, I better not blow his cover with this joke, but he's got a joke about about his mum meeting his sensei because he used karate and they end up having kids. And it was just like, what? You can't be talking about this about your mum, but it's very, very, very funny the way he lands it. But so what you're saying? Know. What you're saying is there's going to be no eggshells on the floor of the uh, Brunswick ballroom tomorrow night. No, nah, they're left at the door. All the eggshells are at the door. But it's brilliant. It's, it's a great thing. Look, we got to number four and. Um, I guess the change-up that's really exciting is that we're doing it on Sydney Road at the Brunswick Ballroom. Um, the reason why, we, 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 
we've kind of um, stretched at the seams a bit over the last few that we've done. So we last time at Deadly Comedy 3 at the Northcote Social Club, yeah. brilliant, brilliant venue, great crew behind the scenes, and um, we're all a bit shattered to have to stay. Look, when we move it to another venue? The corner was too far... Uh, away from the the hub, the community of the yep. north side, so yep, we did that northern corridor. <laughs> we call it. Some people call it Punt Road, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So we're at the Bronzy Ballroom, a little more glam. I hope people kind of use it. Maybe a little bit of a night out tomorrow, and um, and uh, we've got um, some new comedians that are new to the Deadly Comedy lineup, which is um, Brigolo came in. Uh, as a, um, a last-minute open mic entrant last time. Right. Because no you, 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 you um, organise a whole bunch of open mics as well, don't you? Yeah, well, I'm actually, I'm actually upstairs right now at the Retreat Hotel. It's our third birthday. And I've just asked Clint, you know, where's the quiet room? I've got to have a chat with Mr Daniel James. He's like, get upstairs. <laughs> so we've got, we've, got, we've got things on, back-to-back community, and we've just come off first and forever. It's, it's, it's a great... It's a great vibe in the air. Um, we're just lean, leaning into summer and... Um, and I think this event tomorrow um, is just going to be another showcase of, of good local artistry that's um, through through comedy. But you're right, Darren Clinch. Yeah, where did he come from? What a double prong attack! Yeah. He strummed the guitar, and then he he's got a comical side to him. He's he's actually brilliant. He's really brilliant, and he's been up a few times, so he's kind of a veteran of of the circuit here. But. I'm yeah, really I know, I know of him. I know him as a as a seasoned and um, a distinguished public servant, and I knew he, I knew <laughs> exactly, he played guitar, exactly. but I didn't know I didn't know that uh, he was a he was a song and a dance man. <laughs> he's crazy. He's, he's he's unbelievable, and I think he's just he's just got that um, that calm on stage. Like he's just a veteran human being. Like he's just kind of working the service. <laughs> he's you know just I mean? a veteran like, human being. He's just been he's just good. He's just been doing a human a long time that he can. He doesn't get nervous on stage. Yeah, he right. can think. He can think quick enough, but clarity with clarity uh, to do be able to do comedy. And um, he's not afraid of getting on the stage at all, which is a, an absolute gift. But um, Brigolo McIntosh is brilliant. He came open mic entrant last week last year and absolutely ripped the stage apart. It was the most unbelievable set I've seen. Gav Semple, who's been on AGT, he's rocking up. Only Denise McGuinness, um, Aidan Hitchens, he's um, he's he's the comedy. Comedy clown, he's, he's hit so many stages this year, and he's getting better and better. And um, I believe we're trying to get Nina Kirby in too. But yeah, yeah. Look, looking forward to it. Really looking forward to, to filling up the Brunswick ballroom. So um, yeah, look forward to seeing everyone there. It's eleven to eight. I'm, I'm speaking with uh, Troy Benjamin, who's put together another stellar lineup for uh, We're Black uh, tomorrow at the Brunswick ballroom, which will be kicking off at six thirty. Goes for about ninety minutes. So make a nine of it. You can uh, plan things before yeah. and afterwards. Um, the 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 event was originally supposed to go ahead on November the second, but I reckon it's better now um, because we're approaching that sort of festive, sort of hopefully warmer right. weather type season. Um, That's right. What, what was what was the delay due to? Was it just a COVID related thing, like most things are these days? Yeah, um, with events, I think firstly you need kind of minimum four weeks, I believe, um, and we we did it at like three and a half. Um, we went for a Tuesday. And a new venue, and we also tried because we're so keen to get back, and and we we're still licking our lips on the last one. It was so good, but we tried to do Brunswick Ballroom and the Corner back to back shows, a bit of a tour. Yep. And I think they clash. So from an events point, if anyone's looking to do events, those are the things to probably avoid doing back to back shows in Getting different venues. Getting a lesson as well. Tonight, oh, ladies and gentlemen, friends. <laughs> no, no. Events for that, yeah. But I mean, I, I'm learning. I, I, I'm not. A, I don't have an events background. 
as such, but I've certainly learnt so much and I, I can't help but um, just be absolutely in awe of the people that are in the venues that you think that wouldn't want to deal with you, um, like the corner and the Northcote Social Club and the retreat and even the ballroom. Well, these people put on massive events, um, but being a First Nations production person solo with no idea how to put out a contract or what a rider is and, what you know, it's they're, they're just brilliant. So um, it's just a... I'm really chuffed that we're actually saying it's the fourth one, um, and the other three have gone really well. But we do need we do need people to turn up tomorrow because it's a bigger ballroom. It's actually yeah, a okay. big joint, so we want people. We really want people to get off their butts and get down there. So, um, well, if you want to if there. you want to get down there, there are tickets on the door, but it'd be beneficial for uh, for everyone involved if you go to Mosticks. Yeah dot com dot au and book your tickets there. Uh, make That's sure you turn up. Like I said, it's going to be um, it's going to be a festive atmosphere. There are going to be no eggshells. It's just going to be a bit of <laughs> bit of fun. But blackfellas on stage, just laying it down for you to pick up or to for or for you to recoil from. <laughs> but, but it should be it should be an awesome night. Um, yeah. So we're talking about uh, Black again tomorrow night, six thirty, thirtieth of November at the Brunswick Ballroom. Head to mosticks.com.au or if you want to get some tickets on the door, they will be thirty bucks. But if you get them beforehand, they'll be twenty bucks. So get down there and try and make this a success because uh, we need a thriving comedy scene in this. Uh, and it's also a reminder, isn't it, Troy, that we're not just um, sad and sombre when it comes to our storytelling. Um, a lot of the not time that can that can be conveyed as the only way that we sort of convey our trauma and our life and stuff. Mm. But, geez, humour is such a key element as, um, to who so many of us are, eh? And you're spot on. Like, even the music scene, um, sorry to digress, but, you know, comedy and music, um, yeah, music and our music mob are not singing about... Um, dark and somber moments. I mean, uh, a lot of have made a career of it, but we are seeing the rise of, um, I think, elevated elevated lives. Like people are living uh, a little bit better. I'm not saying they, they live the best lives, but we're actually starting to fill spaces in main stages. And I think people are getting a lot of self determination and confidence. And um, comedy is just another another channel of that too. But it's great to see. It's just great to see um, a spot on like messaging coming out without a yeah without the toughness and the, and the depth because um, that's around that's around you can, the news media can do that job but yeah absolutely yeah com- comedy's going to be a winner comedy's going to be a winner at the end of the day fun. we'll tell our stories the way we want to tell them exactly um, right bros exactly right Brunswick spot Ballroom on. tomorrow Wednesday thirtieth November from six thirty head to moshticks.com.au to go and get some tickets to wear black uh, Troy Benjamin thank you so much for coming on the show um, if you ever want to um, you know promote something or have a yarn about something existential, these uh, airways are open to you. So thank you once again for coming uh, on. Yeah, the best. If anyone's around Brunswick right now, we're at the Retreat Hotel about to launch uh, our open mic third birthday party. Uncle Bart Willoughby's about to start. Uh, Frontman for no fixed address. DJ Kid Benny's closing out the night, but we're just about to kick off here at the Retreat free entry. Well, you know what you can do after you listen to the mission, you can get down to the Retreat and listen to Superfluity on playback. Um, <laughs> Troy, thanks so much. You're the best. See you, mate. That was uh, Leah Flanagan there with um, You Break My Heart This Time. Uh, she is a sensational performer. Well, that's um, another edition of The Mission over for another week. Uh, handing over to two members of the Superfluity team who will take you through to 10 o'clock with some rousing music, some uh, very thin premises. 
but always entertaining conversation and insights into the music that they actually play. Um, thank you to Cousin Andrea James for coming on the show and thank you to Troy Benjamin. I'll be back uh, next Tuesday. But until then, stay safe, stay strong and stay listening. Ta-da. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.